0: Today we talk about the S-word, sustainability, in the future of livestock agriculture. It's not a dirty word, believe me, but we often associate it with having to defend our industry. But what if we looked at it from a proactive approach rather than a defensive approach? And
1: in this space of sustainability, we have to remember that science and emotion are on equal footing.
0: Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson from Colorado State University is my guest today as we talk about why animal agriculture has a future and information that can help us be proactive in protecting our industry on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Everyone and welcome again to another edition of the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host Justin Mills, and thanks again for joining us here today on Rural Radio Channel 147 SiriusXM, where you will find us right here. Every Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon Eastern. And I know a lot of you also listen to uh, the show via podcast. And, and uh, to, so just so you know, today's episode is episode 43. And if you don't listen that way, that's a good way to go back and listen to the show if you hear something. Or if you want to share the show with somebody that you want to know on or that you know on social media or through email, you can send them a link through that as well. And again, today is episode 43. Well, here in Northeast Wyoming on the X Ring Ranch, we are experiencing. Our first major snowstorm of the season, and we got about eight inches of snow sitting on the ground, very wet snow, I might add. In fact, ahead of that, we had about a half an inch of rain, so good moisture coming. Um, snow's always kind of a double-edged sword because uh, you kind of need the moisture, and this time of the year, that's kind of the format you get it in, and so, like it or not, uh, here in our country, that's kind of how we get it, but not going to complain. I know it's pretty widespread, the, snow, the storm is, and I know a lot of folks probably uh, digging out from underneath that, uh, and it looks like we'll have some nicer weather here for a little bit to get some of it melted off and back into the ground. But anyways, that's kind of what's happening here on uh, on the X-ring Ranch, but for our show today, here is what's happening and we're going to be having Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson from Colorado State University will be joining me. She is a professor of animal science, but she's also the director of AgNext, and this is is an exciting new initiative through CSU uh, that is focused on providing science-based information to the public on sustainability for animal agriculture. We're going to talk with her about that, but also just with her broad experience of talking about sustainability and and how that relates to animal agriculture and what that's going to look like going forward, that's really the, the approach we're going to today and really what i hope is that there's some information provided today that will help us as ranchers with with facts with with information that we can be proactive with as we are talking about our industry and how it relates going forward so that's really uh the focus of our ta- of our of our program today dr Kim Stackhouse Lawson from Colorado State University will be joining me also the captain Tim O'Byrne will be by in just a moment here for this week's edition of Tim's two cents right now I'd like to thank our sponsors of the working ranch radio show the American cemental Association and you know We're fast approaching the bull buying season, and there was a survey done that showed the growth in the different breed of bulls sourced by commercial producers between the years of 2014 and 2020. And did you know that the largest growth in bull breed type during that time was bulls with Sim genetics? Heterosis works, which is why with Simintol, it's more per head, period. Find out more at Simintol.org. Biozyme, keep them in your program with ours. Gain smart by Biozyme. Performance Beef? Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. And finally, Hargrove Ranch Insurance, providing pasture range and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. Give them a call at 325-573-8975 for a free custom quote. Check them out online, Insurance dot com. Well, now it's time to check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents.
2: Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. My question today is, do you very often thank somebody just for doing a good job, like, say, at the grocery store, the person that's stocking the shelves and, and, and making the the vegetable area looks so nice. The meat case, the, the the butcher behind the counter. Do you ever actually just thank him for doing a great job? Man, this place looks really good, and this meat looks amazing. How about the person that delivers your fuel? You know, I sure appreciate you here. You, you come in, you do a good job. Uh, appreciate a lot what you do to keep my operation running. I think the world, I think America needs a little bit more of that these days to be thanked and recognized for a job well done. And speaking of a job well done, back to you, Justin, in the studio.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Captain. And and by the way, you know, thank you for giving us your uh, little bit of information each and every week through Tim's Two Cents. We sure appreciate that. And a good reminder this week, a lot of folks in the service industry doing things for us. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of pressure in our, in our society right now for various reasons. And uh, sometimes a thanks might go an awful long way. Well, stay with us. Coming up next, we're going to get into our featured topic today on sustainability. Is it a dirty word? <laughs> Not really. It shouldn't be. And uh, we're going to take the approach of it of how can we be proactive with that and and looking at sustainability of our industries Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson from Colorado State University will be my guest we'll get into that conversation coming up next on the Working Ranch Radio show It's a competitive calf market, and buyers want calves that will perform, period. And a proven solution is Simmental. In fact, data from the Tri-County Steer Carcass fraternity from 2002 through 2018 on nearly 60,000 head of calves revealed that Simmental sired calves represented the highest carcass-valued sire group over English and other continental breed groups. And the sire group that was the second highest carcass value was Simangus sired. So... The proofs right there. For low risk, high potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Sim and Tall. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host Justin Mills and thanks for joining us here again today. Our featured interview is being brought to you by Biozyme. Keep them on your program with ours. Gain smart by Biozyme. Well, my guest today is Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson from Colorado State University. She's the director of the Ag Next and also professor of animal science at Colorado State University. We're going to be talking about Ag Next later in the program, but... Prior to her time at CSU, Kim was the Director of Sustainability for JBS USA where she was responsible for coordinating the North American Sustainability Program, inclusive of the company's beef, pork, poultry, case-ready, transportation, uh, just a wide variety of their of their business. Prior to that, she was the Executive Director of Global Sustainability at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association where she developed the industry's sustainability program. She received her PhD in animal science from the University of California, Davis, and was a postdoctoral fellow at Kansas State University College of Veterinary Medicine, Beef Cattle Institute. So Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson, I appreciate you joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, let's jump right into it. And the, the population of our planet is increasing. It's been increasing. And with that comes definitely the need for more sources of food and animal food specifically. What are the kinds of the challenges does this present to ranchers as we try to look through the crystal ball for the future of livestock agriculture?
1: Yes, I think that's that's the great challenge of our time, um, Justin. And, and I think you've articulated it really well, but with 2.2 billion more mouths to feed by 2050, experts estimate food production must grow by 70%, and some estimates would suggest that animal-sourced food supply has to grow by 100%. So I think one of the things that's really important is for us to understand where that growth is really occurring. So a lot of that population growth is occurring in the developing world, right? So these developing countries that for the first time are really gaining tremendous economic status. And we know that as they increase that economic status, that their consumption of red meat increases right along with it. Mm -hmm. Meat is one of the very first things that populations will add to their diet. Um, and, And so we are, I think, in a wonderful business, right? When you mm-hmm. think about it from, from certainly, um, a profitability standpoint and a supply, um, and demand standpoint, I mean, we're, we are going to have to produce more food. Now, you did sort of bring up, like, that comes with some challenges. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the first challenge is that we are going to be raising animals in, in a different climate than, than what we are today, mm-hmm. right? And, and we know that we are going to have to equip producers um, with better predictions. Right? What yeah. what what is this landscape going to look like in the future? We need to predict. Produ- we need to empower producers with better tools. Right, so mm-hmm. so, how do we begin to you know really do a good job matching animals to the environment? Are there explorations we can make in genetics, for example, um where where we we can actually very specifically um, match match animals to environment mm-hmm. um and I you know I think those things are are really positive in the long term because you know livestock really allow us to produce food on land that's unsuitable for cultivation and while they do that they enhance ecosystems and you know have the potential to draw carbon out of our environment so you know i think it's 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 a challenge it's an opportunity um it, it it's going to be really exciting to watch i think for the next 20 to 30 years
0: mm-hmm. and you know despite that optimism that we can see looking ahead I know I feel, speaking on behalf of ranchers, sometimes we feel our back's against the wall. We get defensive about our industry when it comes to the war on the perception of livestock agriculture. And in a presentation I watched you give, you referred to it of, as livestock's long shadow. And I know that goes back to a U.N. report. And I wanted you to expand a little bit about that and how that report was kind of the, one of the catalysts that started to kick that off.
1: Yeah, sure. So Livestock's Long Shadow is the title of a report that was written by the United Nations, and that was published in 2006. And that report claims that livestock is responsible for more anthropogenic or man-made greenhouse gas emissions than all of the world's transportation. Mm -hmm. And the publication of that report in 2006 was really the the shift that we saw in um, animal agriculture, where the industry was first confronted with its impact on climate change, and didn't have data to refute that, right? Sure. Um, and so that that's that was one of the very first publications that I um, authored in graduate school with with my colleagues, um, Dr. Mittloner and and the team at UC Davis. And the title to to our paper was "Clearing the Air: Livestock's Contribution to Climate." change. And that particular publication highlighted a more accurate represent representation of livestock's contribution to greenhouse gas emissions, um, specifically in the comparison of livestock to transportation. Mm-hmm. So basically, and the and the authors of livestock long shadow admitted actually that they had accounted for um, that, that wrong. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then that in fact, livestock is you know, is not more significant than all of the world's transportation. But at that point, you know, I think we, we saw this perception shift, yeah, right? And, yeah. and we, we really haven't gotten that back, um, um, in terms of the narrative that exists, um, in relation to greenhouse gases. You know, oftentimes, I think in The Economist just last week, um, cattle were compared to coal, mm-hmm. right? So, so it's, it's often, you know, that's, that's the perception that, that we deal with.
0: You bet yeah you know, and speaking of perception, I know it's something that you've addressed in your presentations, but really, the other thing is for us in our industry to understand the personality or the characteristics of the generational groups, and it's showing that perception really does matter to them when they go to the grocery store to buy the product
1: yeah so I think there's a couple things, Justin I think first, you know we we tend to oftentimes be on our heels, right, with predicting how um, these generations are um Right. right, Kind of what they value. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's a little bit hard to predict because of course we do, you know, we do lots of consumer studies. We, we focus, um, we focus in, um, really intuitively on these, on these generations. And yet it's really hard to predict kind of where their social values are going to lie. And in this space of sustainability, we have to remember that science and emotion are on equal footing. Right. Mm -hmm. And and even if we don't like it, that's, that is, that's the reality. Right. So, so rancher farmers and ranchers are incredible stewards of some of our most valuable ecosystems and utilize areas for grazing that cannot otherwise otherwise be used um for food production right and mm-hmm. and that story is so important to to me and to you and to my team to tell and it's really crucial to explain that critical role that animal agriculture plays in ensuring a sustainable and resilient food system. But we have to do that with credible data points and I think with a tone that acknowledges um, our consumers values. Mm -hmm. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, And what I mean by that is that I really believe there's an opportunity to connect the heritage of ranching communities with the social and environmental consciousness of younger generations, and and I really believe that we are less at odds than we perceive mm-hmm. because I I believe our values are actually closer, right? They're actually closer mm-hmm. than um than than perhaps what we think they are. It's just so difficult to connect. Um, Right, in an authentic yeah. way. I think that that's the struggle. It's not so much we're in different places, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the challenge here is that, you know, as a rancher, we find it very frustrating that we have to defend what we believe to be right and true. And what we are doing is as, as stewards of our land, of our livestock, of our resources, and that we actually do want our industry to be sustainable for many ger- generations. And, and you know, while I voice frustration with that, I also feel that within our ranching industry that we are starting to see heads turning a bit and realizing how we internally need to operate moving forward. Doesn't necessarily mean major changes in dramatic ways of what we're doing, but we're being proactive about telling our story. But again, those changes won't happen overnight and it's going to take some time.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, and I think, too, perhaps we don't give ourselves enough credit, right? We're, we're really seeing um, a lot of these shifts at the policy level already um, as well, where agriculture even, and, and certainly animal agriculture is being considered as um, potential solutions, right, to, to a lot of these things that we're being blamed for, right, climate solutions mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and other things. So, you know, I... I do think we're at a pivotal point and that there's incredible momentum in this space right now. Um, it's, it's exhausting, but it's also really, it's also really exciting. Um, and it does feel like the ship might be turning right. And it's a big ship, but, um, it feels like, you know there there may be some light at the end of the tunnel and and um hopefully we can all start pulling in the same direction i think it took the industry a little while to your point right that Mm -hmm. where we we kind of had to 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 all row um you know in in the in the same direction but i think we are now and um i i think we are having impacts that doesn't mean we can stop we you know we're still a long way to go um but i i do think Mom- there's there's momentum is shifting
0: mm-hmm You bet. Well, let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation today. My guest is Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson, professor at Colorado State University, director of AgNext, and professor of animal science. We're going to continue our conversation with her as we are talking on sustainability of livestock agriculture, and specifically in the next segment, we're going to be getting into what are some of the false narratives that have been out there that have been hard for animal agriculture to fight up against that have been misleading. We're going to talk about those when we come back on the working ranch radio show cattle producers here's a way to put more dollars in your pocket put the firm advantage found in all gain smart mineral to work in your cow herd AmiFirm is the industry leader in increasing fiber digestion. In fact, research shows putting AmiFirm to work increases forage utilization by 10%, reducing overall forage costs and allowing you to graze more animals per acre. That's a big-time return on your investment. To find which GainSmart mineral formula is right for your herd, visit GainSmart.com. There's assurance in buying bulls from a proven program. And a program that's been proven time and time again is Caneli. Keneally- Angus. So mark your calendar now for Keneally Angus Fall Bull Sale Monday, November 22nd, the Monday before Thanksgiving. Offering approximately 350 head of fully guaranteed older bulls with free wintering and free delivery nationwide. These are bulls out of the industry's leading sires with genomic enhanced EPDs. They'll also be offering six head of heifer calves. Remote bidding will be available so for more information or to request a catalog, go to KeneallyAngus.com. It's KeneallyAngus Lee Angus, Fall Bull Sale, Monday, November 22nd at 12 Noon Mountain, the Monday before Thanksgiving. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Glad to have you here along with us today. By the way, today is episode 43. So if you want to go back and listen on the podcast version of it, you can go back and listen to today's program again. It is episode 43. My guest is Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson from Colorado State University. She's the director of AgNext there, is also a professor of animal science. And we are talking about the sustainability of livestock agriculture. And Dr. Stackhouse Lawson, when we talk about some of the false narratives that have been out there that have put a lot of pressure on animal agriculture, you addressed a little bit of that when we talked about the UN, uh, report that came out and, and putting a lot of blame on animal agriculture for climate and finding out later on that that was not, uh, that the, that the, that the, the science was not correct there. What are some other false narratives besides what we've already talked about that, have put a lot of pressure on animal agriculture that are missing some facts that uh, have been paving the road for these narratives to really get some legs underneath them.
1: Sure, absolutely. And I think w- when we think about these false narratives and – um you know, kind of evolving expectations, right? So sometimes it it feels like there's a bit of a moving target on, you know, what the industry is being asked to achieve. Again, we have to go back to that, you know, science and emotion are not equal footing. And we also have to remember that oftentimes these false narratives are extreme, right? So they, they may not be, um, the perception of, um, the majority, right? Um, they can also be really polarizing and often very confusing, right? So, so I think we always have to put those false narratives into context and then, um, as folks with knowledge in this space, right? Whether it's me as a scientist or, or you all as producers, um, we really need to be focused on on listening and and making sure that when folks ask us for you know input that we're that we're focused on building relationships because these narratives can really erode trust mm-hmm. um in our products and in the supply chains that provide them so so to kind of get to your question around so what are the other false narratives right i think i think that there's a few right the, yeah. the first one is you know cows are worse than cars and that that um for, for the most part came from um the un livestock swung shadow report um the next one is that um you know meat animal products you know meat and um or beef and um livestock and chicken and everything else is, is harmful to the environment. Um, Another narrative we hear a lot is that we should just eat what the animals eat, right? So we could Mm -hmm. take the the feed that we feed the animals and and we could feed more humans with those. And then um, the third is that meat free, like a vegan diet is the, is the only, you know, it's the silver bullet. It's diet change is really what we need to see. And there's more, right? There's more to that. And I think what's important, um, what I want to kind of the take home message, right? Is that these systems are incredibly complex and, and everybody listening to this podcast um, um, knows that. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes scientists are looking for a silver bullet and the answer is oftentimes silver buckshot, right? Yeah, yeah. Because of the complexity of the system. And so when we hear these things, that are myoptic and focused on a single issue. um, That's what's happened, right? A researcher or an academic has asked a very specific question about one metric and they haven't necessarily been inclusive of the entire system. So a really good example of that is if we focus just on greenhouse gas emissions. Mm -hmm. So if we do that, beef has a higher impact than other foods right however if we really look at the full system approach and we ask and we expand our research and we expand our data collection and we expand our models to be inclusive of other important metrics like water holding capacity or biodiversity or rural community strengths or animal health and well-being or you know i mean the list could go on and mm-hmm. on and on mm-hmm. um and then you, you take that sort of systems approach, which is really hard to do, Justin, right? Mm-hmm, like it's yeah. really, that's really hard research to do. Um, and you take the time to, to get the emotional buy-in, right? From from people, so you explain that this is a system and wildlife are dependent upon a ranch, just for example, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, how how then do, do, do people perceive those false narratives, right? Are, do, does the does climate change or or um, does our greenhouse gas emissions um, become equally as important as the biodiver- the biodiversity that that beef provides mm-hmm. and and at that point does the narrative shift or or do we just all get more comfortable right that yeah. these are complex dynamic systems um, we have to be really careful sure not to prescribe silver bullets because they don't exist. You bet. They don't exist.
0: Well, and that's why I think in your, in your talk that I heard, you said, you know, the concept of a meat free diet was such a reckless claim. Basically what you're saying here is there's, there's more to this than just saying a meat free diet's going to save our planet.
1: Yeah. So I, th- I think when we, when we, um, when we talk about those, you know, big silver bullet um, type answers, right. A meat free diet, Um, could save our planet is a really unfortunate misunderstanding of what the actual impact of vegan and meat-free diets would be Mm -hmm. right and and so in in that in that particular study that was published by white and hall in the proceedings of national academies and science in 2007 they actually explained what the max benefit would be only through the lens of greenhouse gas mitigation so it means You know we're gonna we're gonna completely remove animals from the planet so that means they took it out of leather they Mm -hmm. you know everything by products everything Mm -hmm. everything is gone it's no longer going into our pet foods it's no longer going into our pharmaceutical products you know it's, it's completely gone and in that scenario which is under the assumption of gwp 100 not gwp star um total greenhouse gas emissions would be reduced by 2.6%. Okay, so the concentration of greenhouse gas emissions in our atmosphere would go down 2.6% in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And globally, it would only be reduced by 0.36%. And one of their major take-home messages was that if we did that, we actually actually could not meet the nutritional requirements of the human population, right? And, you know, so it's really interesting. Now, there's been other Papers that have looked at um, a conversion of right human diet from you know beef to to vegetarian or beef to chicken or whatever, but they only look at it as the total carbon footprint of your diet right so it's basic it's a, it's not saying we would completely remove something what's the what if scenario that comes from that and 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 unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of those publications are done by scientists who feel very emotionally strong, right. Around the reduction of of meat products as well. So, but that's the hardest thing I have to teach my graduate students is (laughs) that it, that in our space, um, just because it gets published in nature, doesn't mean that it, that it might be the like, you have to be critical of everything in our space because, um, it's such a polarizing um environment um but anyway yeah that's a it's that paper is just fabulous and um and even even that paper only looks at greenhouse gas emissions right they don't account for um rural communities or biodiversity or um, food security or, I mean, they do food security to a certain extent, but, but it's still just very myopic.
0: Yeah. And I, and I want to go back and point out something that you mentioned just a, a bit ago about that study published by White and Hall, because I don't want that to be ignored that showed if our society was to go to a meat-free diet, the study showed the, then that we would not be meeting the nutritional requirements needed by our society. So really that's a major point that we can't ignore.
1: That that's, That is what the conclusions of that paper were. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think the other um, really important thing to bring up is that, um, you know, that sort of um, extreme diet shift would have to be regulated, mm-hmm. um, changing people's behavior. Um, the success of changing people's behavior (laughs) is very difficult and very well documented, right? There's, I mean, social scientists have looked at that for a very long time and it's very hard to do. Um, And so again, sort of when you apply that silver bullet approach through the lens of greenhouse gas reduction, we, we don't see huge reduction potential. Um, We see challenges for human health and we see actually changing the behavior as nearly impossible yeah right so yeah. that that's yeah. really not a viable strategy mm-hmm. um and and you know justin really positive on that you know the the un um in their recent food food summits meeting um absolutely they they didn't even talk about changing in diet so we're i mean i think we're actually seeing um you know a lot of um groups that perhaps were more extreme at at one time really becoming more balanced in this space and really acknowledging that animal agriculture and animal source foods is a really important part of our diets and our culture and our ecosystem i mean this this momentum is not just happening right in the us or just in animal agriculture i mean we really are starting to see Um, that change at a policy level um, globally as
0: well. Well, let's take another break here. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson from Colorado State University as we are talking about sustainability in livestock agriculture. And the next topic is going to be, are we gaining any ground? Are we getting any traction in this battle that we feel like we've been in in protecting our industry? We're going to talk about it when we come back on The Working Ranch Radio Show. animal health is key to your business so how do you track cattle health treatments well stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs performance beef helps you record processing data enter costs and track animal health history all in real time at the shoe. the mobile app also makes it easy to log pasture and pen treatments on the go Your health data is integrated with feed and financial information in one easy-to-use platform. Accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills. My guest today is Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson from Colorado State University, professor there of animal science, but also the director of Ag Next, the sustainability initiative we'll be talking about in just a moment here in our show. But Dr. Stackhouse Lawson, I, I guess my next question is, we, we were talking a little bit before the break about how we're starting to see maybe some heads being turned and And some the ship being corrected or or being turned just a little bit uh, in favor of animal agriculture. Nevertheless, it just seems like we're not I'm not sure if we're making any headway here in a way, because it seems like from the political front, we keep getting bombarded. For example, you that you know, you're there in Colorado and an initiative that was they tried to put forward there that was going to put ultimately put an end to animal agriculture. And we see it with uh, with a lot of the very liberal based politicians across the country, whether it's uh, local, state or national politicians trying to edge their way in in some way to eliminate animal agriculture. And I guess my question is, are we getting any traction?
1: So I think I think yes and no. I think I think we're making traction um, in a lot of the sustainability space. Right. So this this environmental impact space, I think, I think we're, we're, we're making some progress, um, at the policy kind of level. Certainly. Um, I worry a lot about the general knowledge of animal agriculture by the public. Mm -hmm. Um, and I worry a lot about, some of our practices, right, that are very normal for us—anything from castration to vaccinating, quite frankly. Um, um, so very basic, right? Um, animal husbandry practices that those won't be understood or um, accepted um, by people. And so, so I do, I do think we need to um, think proactively about. How we might be able to help educate you know kind of the general public, and I know it's not a good ask, a easy ask and mm-hmm. I, I don't have any good solutions yeah. but i do I yeah. do really worry about that
0: do you do you think there's practices that need to be changed?
1: you know I think we we've really got to start to look at our practices through that lens of science and emotion are on equal footing. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and I've, I've had to develop an entire kind of career with that as my reality. Right. I I was never this space. There's the luxury has never been there that you could only focus on science and folks would listen to you. That's just not sustainability. Um, and so for me, I'm, I'm a little bit more, I guess, used to or comfortable with, you know, the fact that, um, we might not, um, that we just might need to put our practices through that lens, um, so for example you know if if somebody was new to um, agriculture and they saw you doing some sort of practice right like to just for a minute put yourself in their shoes and think about what it might what it might appear and what it might look like um, and do we do we stop doing the practice I don't know right i don't I don't think we do practices that aren't meaningful, mm-hmm. um, but should we should we maybe consider the optics of that practice, or if if the optics of that practice, you know, even we think, oh, this isn't great, then maybe the question becomes, is it really necessary, um, or is there an alternative? Mm-hmm. But, but I, we've got, you know, I, I do think we need to be conscious of the fact that, um, you know, people really care about food. They're really emotionally connected to it. Um, this new consumer is really socially and environmentally conscious and that that includes animal welfare. Right. And, um, kind of health as well. So, you know, absolutely. They firmly believe that they are what they eat.
0: Um,
1: and so I think we need to, you know, embrace that. And, um,
0: boy, that's a big,
1: (laughs) yeah. Thoughtfully engage and educate.
0: (laughs) That's a big ask to you know, for, for us out here and of, of, of really getting in. And I, really understanding what you were saying, you said it earlier, and you said it again is you know we're we're dealing with a society that science equals emotion that is that is where this is coming down to, and that's that's a big ask for uh those of us that believe that I guess science is you know feel like that what we're doing is science based I guess,
1: yeah. I, I hear you. <laughs> it's, a, it's, really, it's really hard for me too. I mean, I am a scientist, right? And, and oftentimes I'll present science and um, it sort of falls on deaf ears because it's, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's not aligning with people's values. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting, an interesting climate. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, and I know you grew up in agriculture too, so I know you know, and, and I we should have probably done that at the very beginning and have you kind of explain explain your background a little bit because it's not like I'm talking to somebody that's never been around an animal because I know you have.
1: Yep, yep. I I come from the industry and 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 love it, and still have cows. So I um, I I hear all that, and my father and my father in law <laughs> yeah. feel very similarly. I'm sure to many of the listeners.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure you've had the discussions many of times. So.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: Well, stay with us. We're going to take another break here. Our guest today is Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson from Colorado State University as we are talking livestock sustainability. And uh, as, as we look at the next subject that we're going to be getting into, it's going to be getting some clarification on carbon neutral. We've been talking about carbon footprints here briefly. We're going to talk and get some clarity on carbon neutral status, uh, climate neutral, and just what some of these terms mean and how that's going to impact livestock agriculture. We'll be back with more On the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. Coming to the Las Vegas Convention Center, December 8th, 9th, and 10th, it's the Working Ranch Expo, brought to you by Working Ranch Magazine. It's thousands of feet of space filled with the ranch industry's leading equipment manufacturers and suppliers, plus great speakers that will inspire and educate you. And we're in the hall just across from Cowboy Christmas. Register to attend at WorkingRanchExpo.com. It's Working Ranch Expo, by day, NFR by night. We'll see you at the Expo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and my guest today is Dr. Kim Stackhouse-Lawson with Colorado State University as we have been talking about sustainability in the livestock industry. And Dr. Stackhouse-Lawson, you talked briefly about carbon footprint. And it reminded me of something to get some clarification here in regard to what we're seeing, some large companies striving for what we're hearing, carbon neutral status, the term carbon neutral and the term climate neutral. Can you explain these and how this is going to reflect back on livestock agriculture?
1: Yeah, you bet. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we I think we've seen all, but um, one of the major four packers in the beef industry set a net zero goal uh, by 2040 to 2050. Um, and the expectations are that the entire supply chain all the way down to you know the fertilizer or the the seed corn that we put in the ground so absolutely inclusive of our ranches would would be a part of that commitment and would meet net zero and um, so so to answer your question on um, climate neutral and carbon neutral so those are those are two different terms and then kind of net zero includes both of them okay. so it's okay. like all of this space very confusing um (laughs) carbon neutral refers to having a net zero carbon footprint so only carbon dioxide okay right so just the molecule co2 climate neutral refers to all mitigation so zero um, emissions of all greenhouse gas emissions so in animal agriculture that would be co2 methane and nitrous oxide
0: okay And so for for livestock agriculture, because one of the things we're starting to hear now is maybe some ability for livestock agriculture to um, take advantage of some of these companies that are striving for uh, net zero status and realizing that, you know, here's agriculture that's actually putting uh, CO2 back in the ground. And so is that uh, what are you seeing on that?
1: Um, so it's, it's mixed, it's mixed Justin. So the science on that is, is absolutely kind of, um, I mean, absolutely in process, right? So we're, we're talking about things real time. Um, so let me start with extensive rangelands because you and I both live in them. Mm -hmm. Um, so our extensive arid rangelands, so essentially the rangelands of the West, um, are really important from a car- carbon storage standpoint okay and actually work that was done at CSU estimates that arid rangelands store 20% of the globe's soil organic carbon so mm-hmm. I mean they're critically important the challenge with rangelands that have been intact in other words they've never been plowed up mm-hmm. Um, and the, the magic number is somewhere in a hundred years. So if they've been intact for a hundred years or more, the carbon cycling that is going on in those rangelands, they've basically, they've, they've reached their capacity for storing carbon. They are in what we call like a, um, you know, steady state. They're perfect. That's where we want them. Okay. And those rangelands are incredibly resilient. So in other words, even in very drought year very tough drought years, they flux very little carbon off of them and in wet years they sequester very little little carbon like they are just in sort of a steady state um, balance and we can graze them and there's lots of studies that have shown there's no additional flux when we graze them as long as we you know graze them appropriately if you overgraze of course there's there's flux from them yeah. Um, But changing the grazing management strategies on those extensive rangelands doesn't change carbon, right, because they're in a steady state. Now, in parts of agriculture where carbon is constantly released, right, so row crop agriculture where Mm -hmm. we, you know, we release carbon, that's what we do when we plow the soil, carbon goes out, and then we plant things back in it. that's not to net zero yet. There's a lot of work going on to get it closer, right? So that there is additional carbon being sequestered uh, in those soils, either through, you know, incorporation of additional organic matter, um, cover crops you know, no-till, lots of work right now trying to understand how if we integrate livestock into those systems, if carbon sequestration actually goes up. There's really neat work going on at CSU in that space right now. We have a soil scientist, Francesca Catorfo, who is absolutely leading the globe in that kind of work. It's fascinating stuff. There's also some great work going on at Michigan State with Jason Roundtree, where he is actually looking at um, kind of grazing systems that can handle more intensive strategies so in other words wetter warmer climates um where in those environments right there's just more grass mm-hmm. and, there's, mm-hmm. and as such there's more organic matter and more roots um if we change grazing strategies can we see increases in soil carbon sequestration and we do we do, Justin, in those. Okay. Um, so it's just, it's there's not kind of a blanket statement around we have um, additional carbon to gain, and that word additional, additionality is kind of um, really important in this space. So some of the work I'm actually really interested in doing, and I'm trying to pull together a team to do it, um, focused more in the, the arid um, landscape is, okay, well, if because valuing the stored carbon is really hard to do because it's not additional carbon, Mm -hmm. right? You're, you're not getting points for it because there's no, you know, carbon's not leaving the atmosphere. So what we're trying to do is look at it differently. So if cattle didn't graze it and it, and that land was used for something else, how much carbon would we lose? Right. And is there a way to, you know, maybe we can't, I mean, I don't know that we'd ever be able to make it a part of a market, you know, but is there certainly a way to begin to help folks understand how important, those landscapes are mm-hmm. to, to um, climate change more broadly. So really complicated stuff um, in the space of science. Again, it's always really complicated,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but um, I think really exciting and getting a ton of attention right now. Okay. So that's one of the spaces where we're starting to really see that momentum shift, I think. And people are super excited, right? Cattle are a part of the solution and and it is exciting, even if we don't, Gain additional carbon in the arid landscapes that you know are are where you and I live. These mm-hmm. big rangelands, like we're part of sequestering twenty percent of the globe's soil organic carbon. That's incredible. Yeah, right. Those are incredible numbers. And so, how do we begin to really talk about that in a positive way?
0: Mm-hmm. As you look ahead, we've talked about this maybe just a little bit, but you're a strong advocate for livestock agriculture. What do you feel our industry needs to do that so we can be sustainable for the future needs of feeding people, and I know maybe we've kind of answered that question throughout but to but to kind of just if you were to answer that question in a in kind of an elevator speech concept what would what do you think is what we need to be doing in livestock agriculture?
1: I really think we need to stay. Um, focused on, on rowing the ship in the same direction, right? So we need to, to shift from a defensive strategy to a proactive strategy where we really position, um, the product we provide as, uh, you know a solution to to food security but that also we're we're a really willing partner to mm-hmm. continue to improve and this industry has an incredible track record of improvement right there's there's no reason for for us to be um on the on the defense um mm-hmm. and i i really hope that so in this space research funding um has been lacking too so we haven't had a lot of kind of funds coming from government agencies to to do some of this work. So I'm hoping we start to see that shift, right? So that it can be a really um, integrated and, and powerful kind of um, government academic producer, you know, push mm-hmm. to really take animal agriculture um, into the 21st century. And, and, and I know these producers can do it. I absolutely um, believe that they can. Um, I I do really worry about how this shifting climate is going to affect our resiliency and our adaptation. And, um, you know, we're seeing pretty extreme weather events. We're seeing prolonged droughts. Um, we're seeing, starting to see forage variety shift. Those, those things worry me. Um, and I'm not sure we're paying close enough attention to them. Mm -hmm. Um, so. You know I, I think we need to start focusing on that i think we need to start um measuring um even if you don't know what to measure <laughs> because yeah. i think it might become an expectation of our supply chains right when we start to think about um these net zero commitments mm-hmm. yeah. um you know i start forecasting that that can i don't we don't know what that's going to entail yet but i think we need to be watching it very closely
0: you bet Well, we're going to take our final break here, and when we come back, we'll continue and have more with Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson as we talk about what they're doing at Colorado State University in regards to sustainability for the livestock industry with their Ag Next program. Find out more about it when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Ranching has been in the Hardgrove family for generations, and they know the value of keeping a ranch in the family. Hardgrove Ranch Insurance provides pasture, range, and forage insurance to ranchers across the nation. PRF Insurance is a USDA subsidized program that allows ranchers to insure against the risk of below average rainfall. Hardgrove Ranch Insurance utilizes industry leading custom software to provide the rancher with information they need to stay up to date and educated on their policy throughout the year. Hargrove Ranch Insurance supports ranchers for this generation, the next, and those yet to come. Contact Hargrove Ranch Insurance at 325-573-8975 for a free custom quote or online at hargroveinsurance.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Our final segment today brought to you by Hargrove Ranch Insurance, providing pasture, range, and forage insurance to ranchers all across the nation for a free custom quote. Check them out. Go online at hargroveinsurance.com. Well, we wrap up our conversation now with Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson from Colorado State University. And Dr. Stackhouse Lawson, I wanted to give you some time here to talk about the Ag Next program because I know it has a direct correlation to our subject here today as uh, it's targeted specifically towards addressing the issue of sustainability in the livestock industry. And I wanted you to explain a little bit about it and your role with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm the director of AgNext and a professor of animal science. AgNext is a new initiative that Colorado State is funding, where we are going to be focused on um, advancing the science around sustainable solutions for animal agriculture. Um, we will eventually hire somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 tenured faculty in a in a cluster hire across the university, um, all really. Focused on um, advancing the health of animals and ecosystems to ensure a profitable supply chain and vibrant communities. So, we're really excited about um, that work, and and you could see more on our website. It's only been up for, I think, two weeks now, so we're very new. (laughs) Um, But that website address is agnext. It's agnext.calo.state dot edu. And then we have Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So please follow us if you have any interest.
0: Okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Dr. Kim Stackhouse Lawson has been my guest today from Colorado State University as we've been talking on this topic of addressing how we can be proactive on the subject of sustainability of the livestock or animal agriculture that we in the ranching industry are a part of. So some very good information that I hope will help us in our efforts to be more proactive in regards to that uh, particular issue and our industry as a whole. Also might point out again, there the AgNext initiative that they're going to be doing down at Colorado State University or underway with. That website, again, is agnext.colostate.edu. Their Twitter handle is at CSU Agnext. They're also on LinkedIn and Facebook. Check them out, if you would. And uh, some very uh, very encouraging to hear what is going to be coming out of that endeavor going on there at Colorado State University. Well, our featured interview today has been brought to you by Biozyme. Keep them on your program with ours. Gain smart by Biozyme. I'd like to thank some of our other sponsors as well, the American Cemental Association, Performance Beef, and Hargrove Ranch Insurance. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, and if you would like to get a hold of me, you can sure do it by calling or texting the studio here at 307-363-COWS, or you can also send me an email at justin.workingranch.com. At gmail.com. Well, I encourage you to join us right here every Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon Eastern on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM, or search us out on your favorite podcast provider. Thanks again for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.